I'm Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at zibbyowens.com where I'll always keep you updated on what I'm up to. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. I'm happy to be partnering today with this really cool company called Modern Mahjong because I don't know if any of you know people who like to play Mahjong, but I feel like groups of Mahjong playing women are sprouting up everywhere I look. Maybe your mom plays or your grandma or your aunt or your daughter or your college roommate's mom. Somebody plays Mahjong. And if they do, you should go to Modern Mahjong and get them a vintage Mahjong dice set, um, which the the co-founders, Dara and Donna, decided they would put together and start selling when they found a lot of vintage Mahjong sets. And they also are doing lots of fundraisers for Alzheimer's and donate a dollar per pair of purple jokerless Lotus Dot dice sold. Check out Modern Mahjong and give a set. Why not? I'm here today with Laura Hankin, who's the author of novel Happy and You Know It. She's written for McSweeney's and HuffPost, among other publications. The viral videos that she creates and stars in with her comedy duo Feminarchy have been featured in Now This, The New York Times, and Funny or Die. She grew up in Washington, D.C., attended Princeton University, and now lives in New York City, where she has performed off-Broadway, acted on screen, and sung to far too many babies. Welcome, Laura. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So this is so funny because, and I hope it's okay to say this, so Laura was formerly a children's playgroup musician, in (laughs) addition to being a Princeton grad and all the rest, wrote this book, Happy and You Know It, which is about a children's group playgroup musician. And as she got here, it turned out my previous podcast guest, was a mom who she used to sing to, which is so crazy. <laughs> yep. And I remember always being like, oh, that woman's really cool. I hope I run into her again someday. Yeah, it's just so funny. New York is such a small place. It, it is. is. really crazy. Well, and we had said that maybe you and I had crossed paths we must in that have. world at some point. We must have. <laughs> yep. I think so. Okay. I hope I was well-behaved. I'm sure you were. <laughs> I remember with my first kids when I took them to music class, I was like, you know, what should I do? Should I be like picking them up now? Should they be on my lap? Should I, what should I do with this little shaker thing? Like every movement was like, I was so stressed about. And by the time I got to my fourth kid, I was just like, oh, he's lucky to be in class. He's fine. (laughs) Crawl around. Yeah. But anyway, back to your book. So happy and you know it. I gave a little snippet, obviously, but Mm -hmm. tell listeners what this novel is about. Okay. Uh, Please. (laughs) I shall. Um, Female friendship, I think, is so fascinating, particularly when women are thrown together, not because of some deep connection, but because of some circumstance, like being new mothers in the same neighborhood. And so in Happy You Know It, a failed musician who has been kicked out of her band right before they get famous, ends up taking a job singing to a playgroup of new moms and their babies on the Upper East Side. And She gets drawn into their lives. And meanwhile, the mothers, who outwardly present as very perfect, but are inwardly dealing with all sorts of anxieties and worries about new motherhood, they grow to love this musician as well. And her presence begins to reveal some of the undercurrents in the playgroup that everyone's been trying to avoid acknowledging. Yes, (laughs) just very juicy as the plot thickens as the novel goes on. Thank you. (laughs) One of the things I liked the best about this book was the depth of all the characters and all the backstories that you paint for all of them, and then how you get to watch the interaction of all of them, knowing 
all these things about them that maybe they don't know about each other. Mm-hmm. So as the reader, you're kind of like, you know, you get this inside knowledge into why maybe people are acting the way they're doing. So how did you come up with all these different characters and their very detailed and super interesting life stories up to the point of becoming moms? Thank you. It was a bit of trial and error, for (laughs) sure. I actually had a a false start to this book. I was very lucky in that I was working with an agent from the beginning. And so we would brainstorm, and then I would go forth and write, and then I would present pages to her. Well, hold on. Maybe I should back up and just say, what came first? Was it the characters, or did you have an idea for the story, and how did that come about? Mm. And then maybe get into the characters. All right. Okay. Circle back. Circle back. Sorry about that. (laughs) So what came first was this idea of what would happen if a playgroup musician got too entwined in a playgroup. And that actually happened in large part because I was doing this job as a playgroup musician. But more specifically, there was one time that I was hired to do a playgroup meant for lonely new moms to connect with one another. Was that really how it was marketed? Yeah. That's so sad. I mean, I don't know if they said, like, lonely lonely new moms come forth. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the purpose was, like, you're a new mom, you don't have any new mom friends, come make some while somebody sings to your babies. And so I showed up at this location and a new mom and her baby showed up and we sat there and we were waiting for all of her new mom friends to arrive and just nobody else came. Oh, It was very sad. A lonely new mom was even lonelier. I know. It was like the universe being like, (laughs) you're destined to never have friends. But we started talking and she was so cool that I was just like, I wish I could be friends with her, but our paths are never going to cross again, and they never have. But it got me thinking, like, what would happen if we were sort of forced into one another's lives on a regular basis? And so that's how I began writing the book. Got it. Okay, now you can go. (laughs) But so at first, the book really was this character study just of the musician and this one lonely new mom. Okay. And then there were— This Amara, the basis for Amara, or no? Actually, no, it was a totally different mom. And Amara was just a supporting character, as were Whitney and Gwen and all Mm -hmm. the others. Mm -hmm. And they were all, like, pretty interesting. There were a few interesting things going on with them. And whenever I tried to write their backstories, those came pretty easily. Hmm. And— Meanwhile, I was banging my head against the wall about this, like, one lonely new mom whose name was Kitty. And so I showed it to my agent, and she, in the kindest possible way, was like, you know, I I love a lot about this. I love the playgroup musician. I love Amara. Do you think that your main mom is boring and shouldn't be in the book? (laughs) And she was so right. So I went back and rewrote it entirely and bumped up all these other mothers who were more interesting to me anyway. And that's how they all came about. (laughs) Wow. And then when you were writing, so there were so many intersections of different characters and events. Like, how did you structure this book? Did you, I mean, it sounds like you rewrote it. I mean, obviously you rewrote it. You just told me that. (laughs) But the original, like, vision, did you have an outline? Did you have, like, sticky notes? Like, what was your process like? Mm. I know that people tend to separate writers into like the outliners and the people who just fly by the seat of their pants. And I truly feel like I'm somewhere in between in that when I'm writing a book, generally I'll have a very general sense of the arc of it all. And I'll kind of know the beginning, kind of know the end, know maybe like three or four big set pieces throughout. Maybe know a twist or two as well, (laughs) even if I don't know exactly what it is. But then I really need to 
get to know my characters more just by writing them and putting Mm -hmm. them in situations. So then usually about halfway through writing a book, I'll stop and reread it and be like, okay, now I understand what is happening for the rest of this book now that I know what the characters would do. Wow. (laughs) Very cool. And how was it writing? This is your second book. Mm -hmm. So your first book was called The Summertime? Summertime Girls. Summertime Girls, okay. (laughs) How was it going back? Like, what was that experience like versus this one? Yeah, it was really interesting. So I had never tried to write a book before The Summertime Girls. And I had moved to New York and I was trying to be an actor. And I just needed some other creative outlet that I could control. Mm -hmm. So that's, I was like, let me try writing a book about female friendship, Mm -hmm. my favorite theme. Your friends must be so flattered. (laughs) Or scared. Or scared. They're like, when are you going to write a character based on me? (laughs) And so it was very much my learning how to write a book book. So it was, you know, a quieter coming of age story. And it had a small printing. I was very lucky that it got published, but it was never going to be a big commercial book. So then going into this one, knowing that it would be more high concept was both really exciting and really scary. It was like, I figured out how to write characters now let me try to write a plot <laughs> with twists. Well, the plot was really good. I Thank mean, you. <laughs> kept, kept unfolding. Back to the playgroup situation. Yeah. As an Upper East Side mom of four <laughs> kids, you sort of make fun of the Upper East Siders and, mm. you know, whatever. You're very, you know, we've been taken to task more <laughs> by other authors, so I wasn't offended or anything. What can you do? Like, is a musician from another world who comes in bound to dislike the people? Is there anything as a host you can even do (laughs) to endear yourself to anyone who comes and performs for your kids? Or do you know what I'm saying? Mm, I totally do. How can you not shoot yourself in the foot here? Because you've made fun kind of of them being too friendly and being like, come on in, have some wine. Like, what can mm, we do? mm -hmm. And then you make fun a little of the people being rude in a little, you know, sort of, or what that would have meant, you know. Anyway, what do you think? <laughs> when I was doing the job, I just really appreciated when people treated me like a real person who they acknowledged had other things going on besides just singing to their babies. And, you know, so I think when Claire comes into this situation as the musician, she is prepared to hate these women for a few different reasons. One of which is that she has worked in this situation before and the women have treated her like she was invisible and have just talked over her the whole time. But also she just doesn't want to be there because she's supposed to be famous. She's supposed to be playing SNL with her band, and instead she's having to go back and do this job that she had to do years ago. By the way, I really wanted to then hear the song. (laughs) I feel like you should write the song, right? Because you perform and all this other stuff. Yeah. You should just write that song. And then that song should go on and be a hit. And how perfect circle would that be? Ooh, a tie-in. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure to write, like, the hit song. But well, could have give it a shot. Have it. Or some song. <laughs> yeah. I definitely had, like, a little melody that I would sing to myself as I was writing it. But it's not good. <laughs> but and maybe that's even better. Yeah. If it's just, like, not even a good song. It's maybe it's just funny. Fine. But you should just record it. You should do, like, a little YouTube and put it up there. Okay. I'm going to put this on my to-do list. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Go on. <laughs> oh, but so I think... Claire comes in with all these, you know, prejudgments of these women. And then on their end, they have judgments of her too. You know, they assume that she's just going to be sort of sweet and non-threatening and uncomplicated. 
And then also they're all judging each other in the playgroup as well, even if nobody really wants to say it, but because they're all kind of competing to be the the best mother of all, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's this whole judgment soup (laughs) until they're able to actually get to know each other as people. So, yeah, I think just acknowledging that someone is like a full and flawed human being is helpful. But it's tough. When I was working as a musician, I always wanted the women to like ask me about myself, but I wasn't exactly asking them about themselves either. And I think sometimes it's hard to have that conversation of like, so are you just a playgroup musician? You know, or like, oh, so are you just a mom? Because like both of those choices are totally fine, but it just feels awkward to ask about it and open it up. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I had this one friend who I had been close friends with for like two years and in the trenches with, and I did not realize that she used to be a psychologist. Really? (laughs) I mean, sometimes you get so into the day-to-day with people and you don't go back to people's pasts even when you're with kids. Like, you know, I knew everything about her kids, you know. Yeah. Educate, like everything of the moment I could tell you about her, just not anything major about her past. Right. And before the kids, I'm sure that was how she defined herself in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's like the characters in the book. Every once in a while, some of the more minor mom characters in the playgroup, I'll just drop in like, oh, this character majored in, you know, Mm -hmm. psychology and spent years studying it. And this one was a lawyer and blah, 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 blah. But yeah, it does not play into their everyday interactions. Wow. So tell me a little more about your performance life Mm. mixed with the writing life. So have you always wanted to be an act? Like, tell me, how did we get here? (laughs) And tell me about your your group that you perform with, Seminarchy. Uh, Is that, yeah, okay. Yeah. So I grew up and my two main loves were reading and performing. You know, I was very much one of those kids where I always had a book in my hand to the point where my parents at one point had to be like, Laura, you cannot read while you're walking down the street because you don't stop at, you know, the streets. (laughs) And we would prefer for you to grow up, please, (laughs) and not get hit by a car while reading a book. But I never really thought of myself as a writer beyond occasionally writing some fun little stories and terrible poems because I was so focused on acting. And so that's why I moved to New York. But learning that I could write and do that on my own really helped keep me sane. And so I've gone more into that as my main thing now, but I still definitely, like, if somebody asks me to be in a show, if I've worked with them before and they ask me to be in a show, I love to do it. I've performed in some really wonderful musicals for children, which has been great. And then, yes, I I write comedy and comedy songs with my friend Dominique, and we have a duo, Feminarchy, and we do live shows around the city, and then we also make videos online. And did you ever go the whole audition route? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that whole some, thing? Yeah. I did some very weird shows in New York, for sure. I did, like, a rock opera. I did a site-specific show in a graveyard. Yeah. Wow. So it's, a, it's an interesting world. But it's nice to have more control as a writer, whereas when you're going in the auditioning route, you're just— you wait in line for a long time, and then you go in and you sing for 20 seconds, and that's it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever think about teaching acting to kids, or did you just perform music? I did some, did some acting. acting, yeah. And actually, I did some really wonderful 
teaching artist stints where I would go into a school and help the kids turn a book into a play. Oh, and that's then they would so perform cool. It. it was the best. And they were so creative, too. Like, they would be writing these song lyrics that were so funny. And I was just like, oh, the children are the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you ever want to get back into that, oh. give me a call. <laughs> okay. I have a very eager future want to be actors. Oh, do you really? so, Well, I have two, but one has potential. No, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let's hope I'm they never kidding. listen to no, this episode. No, I'm just kidding. I might have to delete that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So one thing I found funny in the book also was Whitney, one of the main characters, has this whole life as an influencer on Instagram and mm-hmm. manufacturing this perfect life and taking all these products, which end up, you know, have various results. <laughs> How do you feel about the momstagrammers or whatever you want to call it, mm. hawking products through their, exploiting their lives in a way. Yeah. You know, I think that there are a lot of very fun aspects about Instagram, but it also really has the potential to make us all feel pretty terrible about ourselves. It's like candy, right? You eat a little bit of it and it's nice and you feel good. But then if you are binging on candy for hours and hours, you feel very bad. And it's so easy to look at these people and wonder why you can't be as good as they are and why you can't be sparkly and have this perfect life and you don't have hundreds of commenters talking about how much they love you and your family and you're perfect. And so I wanted to explore that from the side of people who were looking at it, like Claire, for example. And then I wanted to explore it from Whitney, the alpha mom's side, as her following begins to grow and grow. And For her, the reason that she gets into it is because she has so much anxiety that Mm -hmm. she's not doing motherhood right. And so every time she posts a picture and the likes start flooding in, she feels like, oh, maybe she's not going to screw up her kid. And maybe her marriage, which is a little shaky, is actually as perfect as people are saying it is. But it turns out to not be a sustainable long-term solution for making yourself feel good. People on the internet can turn on you very quickly. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so thoughts on adultery. This is sort of a big question, but I just wanted to know, given, you know, I won't, I won't give anything away, but let's just say, <laughs> what are your own personal thoughts on this on this topic? <laughs> well, yeah, again, not to give anything away there, May or may not be an adultery subplot in the book. I think it's fine. There's an adultery subplot. You can in the say book. may or may not, and then they'll find out. <laughs> yeah, and maybe it's just a random question. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Ooh. I know, you know, I certainly did not write it to encourage everyone to have hot, hot affairs with very inappropriate people. But what I wanted to do was to explore how someone could little by little make a decision that they never thought they would be the kind of person who would make that decision. And so for the character who may or may not have an affair, (laughs) I did not agree with what she was doing. I thought it was a very bad decision, but I also understood exactly why she made it because she was someone who like really her whole life had been taught that being desirable was incredibly important. And now all of a sudden she's a new mom and she's not being seen in the way that she's used to being seen and her husband who's always treated her as this like precious thing is not being particularly kind to her. And so when she meets a man who is seeing her, how she feels like she used to be seen, she's able to 
little by little, delude herself into thinking that, like, maybe he was actually supposed to be the love of her life and they married the wrong people. So what I want to do with that subplot and also with a lot of the characters in the book is have them make decisions that I would not make, but always have it come from a place of empathy so that I really, like, knew why they were making those decisions. And I supported them even as I wish they had made different choices, (laughs) you know? Do you feel like it's important to write likable characters? You know, there's some debate in the writing world mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. I think you always have to like your characters, even if they're not quote-unquote likable. You have to find something in them that you really relate to, even in the most maybe ruthless decisions that they make. I personally like to have my characters always be doing it for a reason that I can really understand and really get on board with, whether it's protecting their family or protecting their sense of who they are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll buy that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. So what is coming next for you? Do you want to write more books? Do you, what, what's your grand vision? I know you're still, I'm not going to say anything about your age. I feel like so old in comparison <laughs> as you're talking about what number reunion this is for college, but I'm just going to no. let it go. It's okay. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so I'm working on a new book now and it's the first time I've ever written a book on a deadline, which is fascinating experience. Wow, how much time do you have? <laughs> I have two and a half more months okay. before a draft is due. So I think it's it's going to be doable. But I, I sort of just recently had that point that I mentioned earlier where I was halfway through. And I was like, oh, now I understand how the rest of this book is going to go. Okay. Yeah. but so, Can you say anything about it? Sure. I guess with the caveat that I could, could change. turn it in. I could and, change. Yeah. yeah my what it is now. Like, <laughs> yeah. So it is about a an undercover journalist who infiltrates this top secret women's only social club mm. of like the elite millennial feminist women of New York. And they're all very into astrology and witchcraft. And hmm. it goes from there. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> I love it. So have you read anything good lately? All right. When, mm. when do you find time to read? I love to read all the time, as much as I can. I recently have been on an Ann Patchett kick. Mm-hmm. So I'm almost done with The Dutch House now. And I read Commonwealth, which I loved and thought was so beautiful. I love Truth and Beauty. Oh, yeah. I read that Did one, you? too, yeah. recently. Yeah. Those letters. When do you like to write? When do you like to read, rather, not write? I read a lot before bed. Mm-hmm. It's such a nice of sacred ritual to me to just at the end of the day get in bed and read for even only 10 minutes it's it's a really yeah a really nice way to end a day I find when do you like to read I also I have to read before bed it's like a must a must do that's my I mean always have time I mean however long I can stay awake I always read while I'm putting my kids to bed like after they're in bed but during the pop-outs you know when they come in and out I read while I'm working out which says a lot about my workouts um (laughs) Hence my current state. Perhaps if I didn't read, I might be in a different size. Um, (laughs) I like to read on the subway, too. I forget. I always forget that it makes my subway ride so much better. But then as soon as I do start to read on the train, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is a great way to spend 45 minutes instead of trying to refresh Twitter when I don't have any service. (laughs) Do you have any advice to aspiring authors, for aspiring authors? Yes. I think the number one most helpful thing is to find a writer's group Hmm. or just friends who are also writing. People who can help keep you accountable, 
keep you moving and also who whose feedback you trust. And so you can share your pages with them and then they get really excited about your book and your characters and you can really help each other. Because writing is so great. It's so nice to be able to play around in your own head. But at a certain point, it's helpful to know if (laughs) if that makes sense to anybody outside of your head. And also at a certain point, it's nice to have socialization. (laughs) So finding a group of people who you really trust who can do that for you is it's like my number one. How did you find your group? I'm assuming you're in a group. How did you find yours? (laughs) We actually took screenwriting class together, like a screenwriting workshop. And over the course of the workshop, I remember being like, oh, their feedback is really good. And they also seem really nice. So once the workshop was over, I asked them if they just wanted to get together every few weeks and share our materials. So now we like get high tea and talk about (laughs) our characters. But I think it's also very helpful because then once you do get a deal, hopefully, you're used to taking notes. And so it makes your editor love you. (laughs) Because, yeah, you know that like what you've written is not going to be perfect. And you are in the headspace of wanting to make it better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That works. (laughs) (laughs) Well, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on Mom's No Time to Read Books. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Okay. (laughs) Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at ZibbyOwens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks to Modern Mahjong for partnering with us today. Modern Mahjong. We will think of you anytime we need to give a gift to a Mahjong playing person. Thanks so much. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. Mm-hmm.